Welcome to the Dr. DJ Podcast, sponsored by LGBG. I'm your host, Dr. Donald McCauley, here today with another special guest. Long overdue. We've had a great conversations over the past couple of years. And so today what we have, um, I kind of as we're kind of closing up down the season, um, I have another doctor in the house. Hey. Dr. Frida Grant. Um, I wanna I can give all the superlatives and all the other categories and everything else but uh, i i rather you tell the world about all the great things that you do all righty so i am <laughs> i'm sorry so <laughs> wait we're gonna start over no nah, go for okay. it okay all right anyway so yes dr frida grant i am in Adjunct instructor at Southern Connecticut State University, women and gender studies, and then also African-American literature. I also teach incarcerated students at McDougal Walker. And so that's me. My background is in women's studies and public policy. And like you said, this is long overdue. So I am looking forward to chit-chatting with you and picking your brain. You can't leave out all the good stuff. All the good stuff. stuff. Parent, yes, career, okay. Greek I'm, life. Like, come on. I you. am. I am a mom. I have two daughters. One is also in college, and the other one is a temperamental 12-year-old and a member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated. Oh, that was a terrible <laughs> Egypt. We're going to do that over. <laughs> I need some water. Um, But, yes, take that out. I don't like that. Um, Yes, member of Sigma Gamma Rho Sorority Incorporated, New Haven native, and... Acclaimed black feminist, even if it's on my own mind. Acclaimed. Acclaimed. Yeah. Not you claiming, but acclaimed. Acclaimed, yeah. Talk to me about that. I mean, I think over this time, I like to say I'm like your favorite black feminist. And for a lot of folks, just the way that life is, I feel like just me, the way I move in like circles, the way that I try to show up, I think it's... I hope that it's like a personification of like black feminism and what it's supposed to be. So connecting with the community, um, living loudly, being comfortable with like my identity, who I am, not being afraid and or ashamed to kind of like push back against some things. And so, yeah, all of that makes me the acclaimed black feminist. So so normally, obviously, the Dr. DJ podcast is normally unscripted. And so usually... A key thing is said that kind of gives us direction. Mm -hmm. um, v was here the other day, and her her piece was what I'm not. Mm -hmm. And what you said right now that made me think specifically about how we get into this topic about being able to live loud. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like mm -hmm. I, 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 that's a feeling, that's a vibe that I it think is. that people have a hard time. Even I, even myself, how can I live loud? How did you yeah. get that? What does that look like? I think that it's a work in progress, right? And each stage that we are in life, it's going to look a little bit different. And so in my younger years, right, living <laughs> living loud really meant just being loud, right? Like just being out there, living life, attempting to kind of be adventurous and all of those things. But now as I'm getting older, I think living loud really just means not being like scared to do things. And when I talk a lot about like black feminism, it's really like, because that's what shaped me. Mm. And so when I think about living out loud, I think back to when I was in grad school, finishing up my master's thesis. And one of my claim to fame is that throughout this academic career all of my advisors have been black women uh -huh. right and so I was finishing up my thesis and my advisor at the time she was giving me like feedback and she stopped and she's like Frida what are you scared of and you know me right the first I'm like nothing I don't know what you're talking about right and then she asked again and she said no what are you scared of and I just started crying like I just started bawling and I'm like I don't know and what came out was that I've put like a lot of pressure on myself, right? A lot of pressure, a lot of goals, always being like hyper-focused hyper about like how I show up in spaces and with people. And she was like, when you get over that, right? And when you start, stop being uncomfortable about how you show up and you'll be more comfortable with yourself. And like, that was one of the things that always kind of came up in my writing. Like I would take it there, but I wouldn't fully take it there. And so even when I was writing my dissertation, it kind of came up again. It's like, don't be afraid. And so I think now more so than any other time in my life, 
I'm not scared of anything. And I don't know if it's the PhD or what it is, but it's like, what you going to say? <laughs> right. You can't tell me anything. But it's been like an amazing journey to kind of be able to kind of get up and do things and move through spaces and not necessarily be afraid uh-huh. anymore about how I'm going to be perceived and or received because I don't care. So that's oh, this is about to be a good one. This is about to be a really good one. <laughs> and so when you say not being afraid or I think it's more so about the end of it. Being afraid is more of a human reality, but more mm-hmm. so you you walk in this the perception. You walk in ways where you will break the ceiling mm-hmm. and you will crush the floor. Absolutely. And being able to do that is mm-hmm. like I'm just going to do this thing. Mm-hmm. Just cut. This is what this is what it is. Right. Right. Well, because you think about it too, in certain spaces, and I'm sure you can attest to this too. Just your existence in that space. <laughs> represents a whole lot more things than you probably wanted to represent mm. at that time. And we're carrying <laughs> we're carrying you like grab this, it. I don't need it right yet, but I will. We're carrying like this burden, <laughs> these burdens and these pressures because of that. And I remember one time if something hit me and I was like, well this ain't my problem. You know, and so like, why, like, why, like, why are we tasking ourselves with this? And I feel like a lot of times, like within our community and as like young presenting youngish black folks and black scholars and black academics, we're like being tasked with carrying the burden of everything else. And like, no, I don't want to show up for everybody. I want to show up for me because at the end of the day, like my responsibility is for me and these kids <laughs> and then everyone else. But I, if I can't show up and be the best for me, I can't be the best for nobody else. So when did the loudness start? I, I, I'm going to use that term. I, think, yeah. I, I, I know someone told me one day, I was like, I can hear you across the room. And I was like, well, that's just yeah, what it is. <laughs> I, again, I, I think it's, it's always been there, but I think I've gotten louder the more comfortable I've gotten, uh-huh. you know? And just, it's really been like this slow transition through over through over the time and throughout the years because there was a point in my life where I wasn't loud, right? Mm. And, you know, I joke like, I'm an only child. And so... So am I. Well, no, I'm not. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not I, I grew up as an only child. Okay, I'm yeah. No, so, <laughs> like, I'm a real deal <laughs> only child. And my mom is an only child. So, you know, like talk if you have something to say and and things like that but i i would say like definitely with the sorority and then all those experiences after that like really learning like how to cultivate my voice and have purpose behind it and i think as i got more comfortable with my voice i got more comfortable with myself and how i do show up you know and so like i can't necessarily pinpoint when it started but i would say really over the last 15-ish years, it's been like this ongoing process, but within the last five, I feel like the most comfortable. I'm going to ask this question right now. Yep. It's probably sli- it's slightly off topic, but I'm going to get back on topic. Okay. You gave the example of the loudness or it being present, but also the reality of being the only child. Mm-hmm. And I kind of felt like growing up when it was just me in mm-hmm. the house, that you kind of become more recluse. Mm-hmm. Versus Absolutely. actually loud because it's like because yeah. loud Absolutely. is loud is something I'm de- I'm thinking about where I'm like there's a group of us and I need to have voice so I need to I need to make sure that I'm I'm heard in this conversation right right when it's you my loudest voice is inside mm, absolutely and, and I'm probably practicing this absolutely and I'm practicing every moment and I yep. think that's a interesting dynamic when you think about parenting and kids and space and like how do we operate and, I, and I, that's why I say that loud moment I'm like. I was quiet, but just with an inner fire. Absolutely. Well, and that's kind of always been me, right? So I can, and my friends know, right? Like, I'm, we can hang out, but then after a while, my social clock dies, and I don't have nothing to talk about. Like, that's it. I'm done. Um, and so, but just because I'm not talking, like, I'm always taking things, and I hear it. And like you said, that inner voice is super, super duper loud. But I, I feel like it's what are you doing with it? And Mm. so, especially just thinking about like my experiences growing up, loud always kind of had like a negative connotation to it, right? Because loud was presumed to mean that there was something wrong, right? Mm. Especially being a girl, right? Mm. Like the loud girls had this sort of identity. They had all of these things. And so you want to be the opposite of that. Mm. And what I did find is that, especially like once I got to high school, I started to find my voice 
And I was using it for the most part for good things. Um, <laughs> but it was the like to, no, <laughs> to speak out for certain stuff, right? You would see certain things that just wouldn't sit right with you. And now you're saying something and you're kind of pushing back against it. And then I, I realized like, well, hey, when you talk, people kind of do listen to you, mm -hmm. right? And so then it makes me think about like leaders, right? Mm -hmm. And leadership. Because if someone would have asked me a couple years ago that I feel like I was a leader, and even now sometimes I struggle with it. I'm like, no, I'm just Frida, right? Like I feel like some things are just natural. But again, I think like when it is natural and that, that innateness and that natural voice and being loud and how you show up, and even if it's just your personality, people are going to gravitate towards you. Kind of stuck me right there. Sorry. <laughs> no, but I, th I think it's dope because I I think part of like even the, the concept of how we perceive people that are loud mm -hmm. and what that means. Um, but also, I think what you're talking about more so than anything else, and also, and I think, it, and it shows up in your work mm -hmm. about the authentic self, how the authentic self has Definitely. is now. It doesn't need to be proven. It's confirmed. And this is kind of this is the space that I live in. And I'm right. And I'm still still learning about it. Right, right, right. Definitely. And it's funny because I feel like that with a lot of folks, like in our peer group, how we show up and like just being like that, like you said, like that authentic <laughs> self. And it's it's almost like we're kind of pushing against barriers mm. and breaking down grounds that we're not even thinking about. Right. And so even for you, I'm sure like you showing up in your classroom with your students, the way that you show up, I can I can only imagine, right, what that looks like. And because of how you show up, you're able to connect with them on a, on a different level, right? And it's like you're not necessarily thinking about it, but it's just there. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell this story because uh -huh. it, it happened yesterday, but it, it makes me think about what you just said, and mm -hmm. I think you do this. Um, I went to class. I had a PowerPoint. I was mm -hmm. like, I got it. I know it. Uh -huh. And then something happened and it clicked where I was just like, this ain't it. Mm -hmm. And I just, I realized that I spent the hour and 15 minutes, if my students are watching, hour and 15 <laughs> minutes and I wasn't using the PowerPoints anymore. Right. Because there's a difference and I and I believe, as you kind of said it, there's a difference between trying and being and just showing up. Exactly. And I've realized, and I kind of want you to talk about this, when you're able to live in your truth, Sometimes showing up is enough. It is. It's, versus versus trying. I'm not trying to do anything. I'm just I'm just going to show up today. Right. Absolutely. Well, <laughs> and, and that's why I said it, it is enough, right? Because to try, like, absolutely, right? We always say, like, give it the good old American try or whatever it is. <laughs> like, you're trying, but trying also means that you may not know how it's going to work out. But if you show up, there's some confidence kind of behind there. And you know it. And so thinking with me and like this whole journey of like finding my voice, you know, I'll, sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to try to do this. I'm going to try. But it's like, you don't need to try to do this because you know it already. Right. And just showing up in this space confirms that you know this. And one of the, one of the, 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 the things that always sticks out in my mind with like, you know, got a plug with a black feminist theory, <laughs> there you go. right? Is that one, we're connected from our lived experiences, right? And the personal is political. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to try. The person is political? The, per the personal okay. is political. There you go. Hey. And so, yeah, I don't need to try necessarily to do something because me coming into this space confirms that I, one, I'm supposed to be in this space and I'm going to figure it out, you know? And so... I'm just going to show up and I'm going to I'm going to be me because being me is good, what's got me here and it's going to keep me in this space. So we're 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 obviously we are on the same trajectory. Uh-huh. Because for those who do not have that we know I'll say I'll say I'm a critical race dollar. Mm -hmm. I mean that's just that's yeah. that's that's probably my angle ontology and everything else in practice. You doing the same thing we know just by the topic in theory and just terms of our positionality. Right. That showing up don't get don't get the job done. I would I, I, No, I'm just gonna say what it is. I sometimes just showing up well, don't so, get it done. And I'm like, oh, I gotta I gotta build a pay. Well, so wait. <laughs> so this is when I push back, right? Because if we were in the classroom, I would say, Well, how are you defining showing up? You want me you may do this? Yeah. So so part of so part of showing up is I didn't have a plan. Mm -hmm. 
I just mm. there were I I know what the skills are. Whether it's improv, mm-hmm. whether I need to make a pivot in in this classroom, whether I need to change the PowerPoint, get in the conversation, create discourse, create. Di- I know I can do that. Right. And part of the the larger system, you might that might be good in that moment, but you're gonna need a plan for something else. Absolutely. And I think part of that. It's it's the balance. It's like I don't want to overplan life, Mm-mm. but I think like more so like I think more I'm, when I'm thinking showing, I'm thinking about my social life. Yeah, because yeah. I can show up anytime I want in my social life. <laughs> right, but right. how I show up at my institution and be like, yo, this is what it is. Right. Well, so for me, like showing up, right, because they're different, and yeah. we can have different definitions depending on where we are. But for me, showing up. We always have a plan and I don't and I imagine that your brain works similar to mine where you're always constantly making a plan. Maybe it's like going to the gym, but you don't know what you're going to work out on. But right now I know I, there's enough equipment I can get it done. Right. You can figure, <laughs> so what I always say, right, I'm like, listen, the good thing about a plan is you can make one, but then you can make something else. Yeah. And so I, I have this saying, it's like, listen, we can you don't have to put a period behind something. It could just be a comma. And so we could just have mad commas and we just keep going, going, going. The English people don't kill me. But that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> right. And so that's how I look at planning. So in, in with anything. I'll show up. That's the first step. But I always have goals. Even if I'm not sharing them with other people, this is what I want to like walk away from this with. This is what I want to, how I want to like feel when I finish this. And even if I hit half of those goals or attempt to, then I feel like I did my job because what what we can always do is get up tomorrow and do it again. Mm. And so for me, showing up is like that planning and it's that follow through, that assessment, but then knowing that there's still more work to be done. I'm gonna ask this, and I kind of know what you're gonna answer, but I, I think yep. it's, it's it's important for the group to hear this one. Um, when you encounter spaces, institutions, or anything else, and their objective is to challenge mm-hmm. or to break down your logic or mm-hmm. to make it seem like it's it's not as serious as what it is. Absolutely. What do you do Ooh. in those moments? So that's a work in progress. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It's hard and it, it's going to continue to change because, again, going back to how we show up. Right. And knowing that in these spaces, you showing up, however you're defining showing up can be a sense of contention for somebody else. And these spaces, more often than not, were not designed for us to be in them. Right. And so for me, like when I'm when I'm faced with it, because there is. We, we got to make this decision. One, I got kids to feed, so I can't flip tables. You can't flip tables. Right? But how, how can I still push back? And so right now, it's like finding ways to kind of channel that energy that would want to flip tables, but still like holding people accountable. But then also knowing that I can pick my battles sometimes. Like I don't always have to say something. And that's been a struggle, Right. I don't always have to say something, but then feeling comfortable with who I am and what I know, I also don't have to prove anything to you. Mm. And I think sometimes it's that feeling like we're constantly having to prove ourselves in these spaces that makes you want to go harder. But I'm learning that like there's power in silence sometimes. And silence doesn't mean that you're acquiescing, Mm -hmm. right? But sometimes... There's power in not saying anything and just showing and proving. And then there's other times where you will have to say something. And it just depends. When do you negotiate your walkaways or your flip tables? You know, it depends on the day. (laughs) (laughs) It depends. And it's funny, right? So when I first... With anything, right? We first start learning stuff. We get super excited about it. And you want to scream it off the mountaintops. And so am I That's early... how you feel with new information? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I do. <laughs> Sometimes. Like, but in my, my early feminist days, I, I was just starting trouble, right? Like, and another thing. And, like, I'm going to go back and I'm going to say stuff and, and all of that. And, but one of the lessons that I've learned is, like, just because you're loud don't mean you're right. You know, and sometimes you might lose out on somebody listening to you if you're always doing this because it just becomes noise. Yeah. Right. And 
as I've gotten like more comfortable with things and more settled with things, it's really like, so how can I do this, but have some purpose behind it, you know? And so when I'm faced with certain situations, it's really, again, what's my end goal? And there are some situations where you're like, listen, I don't got time for this. Like this space is not a space for me. Y'all can have it. Right. And that's okay too. And, but I think for me, like when I really feel inclined to say something is if, the actions could potentially harm me or potentially harm someone else, especially like our students. Like I, that's something that I just don't want. Mm-hmm. Right. And, and students of color. So if I can do what I can to like advocate for them, then I'll do that and I'll figure out the rest later. So actually I, I, I was supposed to go to Encore, but my, my proposal got denied. So, mm-hmm. um, but one of the sessions they had, it was, the assault on critical race theory or critical feminism in mm-hmm. the classroom. And mm-hmm. just we recognize, and I'm only asking the question now because you made a point in terms about it's okay. the, the, <laughs> the harm or the what people perceive as harm in the classroom. Mm-hmm. How do you, how do you handle that as an educator and also as a internally loud person, right, but just right. going through the space. Right. Well, so believe it or not, in my experiences, like I've dealt with that more on the administrative side. I anticipated that. <laughs> <laughs> right? And so you get that pushback there. And I think it also is really dependent on where you are, right? Mm-hmm. And the culture in these spaces. And so when those things kind of come up, it's hard, right? Because it almost feels like these things become talking points, right? So We'll talk about inclusion. We'll talk about diversity. You'll go into these meetings and we're doing land acknowledgements and all of that stuff. You know, all that symbolic stuff, right? But then when it really comes down to, like, show and prove. They ain't give it back. Right. (laughs) Like, we can acknowledge, but I'm saying. (laughs) Like, when it comes down to, like, showing and proving and you start addressing some of these holes, now that makes people uncomfortable. And it makes people uncomfortable because their existence and their successes were built on these same things, right? On, on these, these these systems of oppression. And so how do we grapple with that? And so for me, it's like, no, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna say something. I remember being in a meeting one time and it was during the pandemic, but we also had a lot of um instances of police brutality going on. And we're on Zoom and I am the only black person, person of color in these meetings. And folks are like showing their backyards and their nice garden spaces where they're working from home. And, you know, we're talking about how we're doing and we're doing check-ins. And I remember saying, like, I can't focus because black folks are getting killed and I'm uncomfortable and my anxiety is high. And now everyone's looking. And (laughs) my thing is like, if I'm uncomfortable, you're going to be uncomfortable too. And it was interesting to kind of see like that scrambling that gets done now and now folks are trying to like fix it. But... No, like if we're if we're talking to our students about being held accountable, right? And like these standards, then we also need to work together as a collective to hold one another accountable. You so and I, this is so this is why I know <laughs> it's been long when you say about being on a Zoom and and having just the word thought is like this is where I'm at. Like this is how I'm feeling. Mm-hmm. I'm having anxiety about as a black man in that same situation mm-hmm. that I don't know if there's going to be scrambling. Right. After I make the statement. Right. Right. There's going to be something else is going to happen. And that's the conversation I think about in terms of the, our differences and also commonalities and being able to understand it. Cause I recognize words that don't, that's not going to happen. Exactly. This room is Absolutely. not going to scramble and be like, I mean, they might, but they're going to scramble for a different reason. (laughs) Now they're running. But no, but you're absolutely right, you know? And just, and I wish that there were more spaces where we could kind of come together and acknowledge that. And so it makes me think about, um, when I was in grad school, I had this internship. And the, one of my my co-intern was a black guy, right? And so I always say, like, being a black guy in women's studies, right? What a time. And so, (laughs) (laughs) right, we talk about tokenism, but he had, it it, it would depend it, but he was, what what a time. But anyway, um, and our supervisor, I noticed that she would yell at him a lot and she would, like, corner him and yell at him. And like you said, you can't say anything. 
better not. He just he would just stand there. And I remember one day after he's like free, like I can't say anything. He goes, because even if I blink, right, it's going to be perceived the wrong way. And so in my mind, it's like, well, don't you worry about it. I got you. <laughs> and so the next time it happened, I jumped in and said something. And it was interesting to see the response because, no, she didn't necessarily back down, but it provided just enough space to almost provide him that protection. And so in my mind, when I'm thinking about like what like black feminism is about and what community and what us like being engaged with each other is, it's like, listen, there's going to be certain times like in our walk of life where I might be able to provide you with that that protection and use whatever little bit of privilege I have. And in that moment, it was gender. Right. And then when the tables are turned, I'm going to expect you to do the same. There thing, you go. Right? There we go. That's it. That's it. That's equity. But it's hard sometimes to kind of get folks in that space because there's also a level of trust that comes into there. And how do we get there? So, th- so th- this is this is our question that I think that I think that I see the world battling mm-hmm. on tonight conversations and every Ooh. other space. on. What is in the critical race feminist perspective around racially yep where is the protection for black men so the protection and i'm not and i'm not saying it to just be like well no i feel you because you described a moment of protection that we want that was sought that was like i i need you to show up but but the fact that that thought was like i'm I'm like i gotta get in there we 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 want to see it and i I get it right and i always say things sound it's easier in theory than it is in practice right because we can sit here and talk theory Mm -hmm. all day but when you go outside nobody cares about theory we want you to show and prove show up and so but what i love about it is that and i'm going to speak particularly to my (laughs) (laughs) right we say hey we the same systems that jam us up jam black men up too Mm -hmm. and so if we come together and address these systems then we can start thinking and imagining, reimagining what liberation looks like for both parties, right? But again, there's so much, there's a, there's a lot of misconceptions, there's a lot of mistrust. And it's funny, in class, prior to coming here, we were talking about, like, you know, multicultural feminism. And one of the questions that came up was about, like, sexism within, mm-hmm. you know, our communities of color and like, where did it come from? Is it something that is was learned through white supremacy or were they just natural cultural practices? And, you know, it even for me, right, there's a lot of times where you want to talk about intercultural things or inter intercommunal things and you kind of get that Ugh, feeling, right? Because it's like, I could talk about what's going on in my house, but I don't want you to come and talk about it there we go. because you are not going to look at it and treat it with the same way that I am. And so even that, like that protection and kind of like that, I want to hold on to this. It shows that it's there. We just have to kind of get to that that space. And I think like, you know, everybody wants to have these conversations about like the genders and the sexes yeah. and oppression wars and who has it worse. And that's doing us a disservice. Wasting time. Uh, and uh, a lot of time. Well, I, I want, I mean, I, I mean, I love your perspective. Because um, I think there's a desire. There's a desire for those conversations do not become the distracting moment of a mm-hmm. larger conversation around how do we equally protect each other in the quest of liberation, the quest of um, having civil households. Mm-hmm. Um, because I'm still going to go back to the, the, the term <laughs> we're using today, like what it, what it means to be loud. Mm-hmm. And when does protection become more open in totality? Mm-hmm. Um, and when can it become loud? When can we have a loud conversation about protection on both sides and not just like, cause I, cause I can bench press 300. Right. I'm like, this, this is, that's what you're made for. Right. I don't, my first thing, and I, I don't know if this is just how my brain works. Are you a Virgo? No. I'm a Virgo. Don't say it like that. I'm a Gemini. Okay. <laughs> no. Well, you know what? Because Virgos always want to tell everybody that they're Virgos. That's just a Virgo thing. True that. It's okay. But no, I'm a Gemini. But a May Gem- Gemini because June Geminis are ridiculous. Sorry, June Geminis, but I'm a May Gemini. Um, sorry. But <laughs> for me, the first thing that kind of comes to mind is how are we defining protection? So... I'll say for me, 
Uh-huh. If I'm if I'm speaking specifically and I'm using your example about what it means to get in the way mm-hmm. in a space like under, understanding context that okay. his response cannot be a certain response and right. so recognizing the the privilege you have in that moment to say you know what let me intervene or right. just situation where it's like I'm here to save you from yourself. And sometimes I have to save you from yourself, yeah. but also I have to save you by also saving myself and stepping away. Right. And right. recognizing where that operates in space. And because right. I, I think we both share that passion for mental health therapy um, and and support for the gender across lines, even when there's difference in yeah. being in spaces to have conversations and challenging other individuals mm-hmm. of like, you know what? We're not gonna have to, we're not just gonna have a guys talk, barbershop talk, and we're just not gonna have a sister girl moment. Right. Because there's a commonality that needs to happen in Absolutely. order for peace to, to be manifest outside besides us pretending and acting like like yo, you trying right now, but you're not yeah. your true self can't show up. Right, right. I feel like it it just it goes back to like trust, right? If we just wipe clean of all the mess, right? And really just got down to like foundations. My brain just goes to that, right? Bare basics, components like healthy relationships, right? We need trust, honesty, communication, respect, like just those basic things. And so the next thing from that, it's like, how do we do that? Like, how do we try to cultivate those things in our everyday lives? Because we're not going to be able to get anywhere until we have those things first, right? And so how are we thinking about like how trust shows up? Because it, it's interesting. We have a, like we have folks just walking around and you can be in relationships with people, but we're still kind of walking around like guarded, right, with these walls. And there's like this fear of being judged. And how do you show up? And can you be your authentic self? self. You know, how are we communicating? How like are we even able to sit and be honest with ourselves at time? Mm-hmm. And. I feel like because we're not able, we as a collective are not able to do that. That's why we get caught up in the it's Cheesecake Factory a date sort of situation, right? <laughs> because that's easier to talk about than how do you express like Bowling is a date. Fear. I'm listen here, if you pay, it's a date. Let's go. Right? It is what it is. But we get stuck in like the superficial or I say like we get lost in the weeds because that those are all easier things to talk about instead of like, how are you cultivating vulnerability? And it's hard, right? I think about even my upbringing, you know, like I was raised by women, you know, like my mom, my primarily like my grandma and it's just different. Like we didn't, we didn't, how they say, it's funny how, like you said, like, Boys are like conditioned not to talk about feelings. Like growing up, I wasn't conditioned to talk about feelings. It was like, no, you get up, you show up. This is what you have to do. You work hard and you'll reap the benefits of it. And so even as a woman, sometimes, and you know, like my friends know, everything is, they're always like, oh, you're so cool. And I'm like, I don't care. It's just, it is what it is, you know? And it's been hard to kind of like pull back those layers and say, well, this made me feel scared or this made me uncomfortable because that wasn't like the norm in my household that I started to attach it to. Well, certain women are able to kind of come in and be, you know, like scared or certain women can come in and expect folks to do things for them. And I just didn't have that luxury of doing that. Right. And it's less about a luxury and it was just more out of like necessity, maybe. You're saying something and um <clears throat> that I think it's I think it's hard for people to grapple with. Mm-hmm. You you said when someone says you're cool, you're like, eh. But a portion of that is a progression of just your personal development. Because mm-hmm. the re- honest reality is that when we talk about the difference between trying to be cool versus showing up and you're a cool person. Absolutely. But when someone acknowledges that. Because something that's so casual for us, it go we we kind of thought kind of like ah uh, right. I'm like you're supposed to do that. Like right. there, there, there's expectations. Right. So when you arrive at a particular place, sometimes it's hard to, I'm what I say like in part of maintaining humility, not to humble yourself in that moment, not to take it too seriously, mm-hmm. but also to a point sometimes you don't even acknowledge it. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, you think about it too, because even for me, right? If we're being completely honest, sometimes the being kind of chill and being reserved, like it's it's a defense mechanism. There we go. 
and I don't want to say that, right? <laughs> but we'll like, cut that out. No, it's fine. <laughs> We're here. But it, it's a defense mechanism, and it's something that we've learned over time. And I remember hearing someone say, right, when we're faced with things, we either learn how to address it or we learn how to cope. And you can cope all day long, but at some point, something is going to happen, and it's going to force you to have to address some stuff. And so for me, being like, eh, it's not a big deal. It's okay. It's whatever. Right? Like, that's just coping. And I've always said, you know, if I stopped and focused on all those little things, I just, I wouldn't have time. Right? And what I learned is that after a while, you're not going to be able to do that. Especially when you're a parent. Right? And I've, I have these two kids and these kids got some feelings, (laughs) you know, and, 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 and that was really when I started to look at things a little bit differently. But then also thinking about, like, the reaction on your body, like anxiety, stress, right, from just letting things, letting things go. And so it's just really made me think about things. And it's a work in progress. I don't, I don't have, yeah, I don't have a perfect answer yeah. for that. I'm still I, trying to figure no... it out. And I, and I see my daughter and my son, and they have... I know my daughter has some deep feelings, I, I, and um, and I know my son has feelings probably on the inside, mm-hmm. but just navigating that space, like even the fact that we're still learning and negotiating, like the human condition at in our thirties, to imagine what they're able to, what they're going to experience, mm-hmm. what they're going to be exposed to, to try to really figure like how. Does that loudness or them even having a voice? Forget being loud. Right. I'm I'm loud, right? And I'm like, but I'm but I'm like, I need you to have a voice just in general, right? And I would imagine your kids have different personalities too, right? They act like each other. Yeah. They 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 the male and female. They they the freaking frat. Oh, that's see that's <clears throat> that, that feel like that's a little bit easier. Maybe. That's why it's easy for me because I just like when I say one, it's just I just know oh, I know what easier. they are. And so with my girls, my oldest is super quiet. Like she's always been chill. She's okay. That other one is like a no limit soldier, right? Like if she's oh she when we say loud, like she's loud. Like she's been living loud since she was a baby. And so I worry sometimes. And you know, like black families and things like that. Growing like when she was a little bit smaller. You would hear like, oh, you're going to have to beat her, <laughs> right? Like, you're going to, she needs a beating. You're going to have to beat her. And it was like, well, no, right? Like, I want her to be raised in a way where she's comfortable with her voice. And she knows that it's all right. And so one of the rules I've always had with my girls, is like, you can express whatever you want to express. Just back up your argument. You got to support it. There you go. <laughs> right? Someone told my students. Right. Just support it. But seeing how... I cultivate those voices with them. It's so different because with my oldest, it's a lot of like self-advocacy and feeling comfortable with saying stuff. You don't have to wait for something to get drawn out before you say something. But then with the other one, it's like, all right, maybe you'll need to say something all the time. Like Mm -hmm. let's, let's kind of put some purpose behind that energy and they're on both ends of the spectrum and they're both completely different from me. And so I'm still I'm still trying to figure this out, you know, and and I go back to like my upbringing because for me it was just like you perform, the harder you work at something, the better the results that you're going to be. But the way our kids are being raised is completely different now. And also that's a I mean I told that I told that example in class like that's a that's a myth. Mm-hmm. It's a myth that you work hard that you will actually arrive at where you have to go. Absolutely, especially when some of your success is contingent on somebody else. Right? Cuz you can do all you can and exert yourself, but if your if your success again is dependent on what somebody else is doing or how they perceive something, you may work yourself to the bone and you still may not get the outcome that you're looking for. So, like you said, so when do you know when you say, "All right, that's it, I'm ne- all set." Negotiating the walkout. <laughs> and I think mm-hmm. th- I think those are. I mean, to to try to bottle some of the lessons we had. That I wish I would have known in my twenties mm-hmm. or in my teens, um, and then and then try to give it to the kids now. It's just it's so hard for them to. I mean, to just digest like there's no tooth fairy. No, you just did. It's like you just and so we, so we were and I'm being funny, but like in breaking that mold and saying like these are some real things that I need you to know. Yeah, and grapple with 
and we can have open dialogue. And I, but I need to, I need to sway your interests. Yeah. And and I say it specifically because when we're thinking about the success, and we we we've we've gone through education, relationships, um, theory, and concepts, mm-hmm. but they're going to exist in the same mess. Right. And and it almost like their their mess is a lot worse. And I could I could forecast that they mess just looks right. a lot worse. Yeah, yeah. And if you if you don't have the skills to organize the mess, decide mm-hmm. when it's time to walk away, negotiate, figure out what the proper situation is, understanding the signs and gems that are on the wall that need to be there, mm-hmm. they'll never know. Yeah. Well, I I think too, some of this right these little gems that we end up having and things that we put in our toolkit, we got them from like making mistakes. Right. You, you have to, there's, there's going to be a, a significant part of your life. And I tell my, my 20 year old all the time, like you're going to do some dumb stuff. It's okay. Right. And it's less about what you do and more about how you come back from it. Mm-hmm. That's when you're going to learn the lesson and you're going to keep finding yourself in that same situation until you learn that lesson. That's faith. Right? Faith will repeat itself until you learn the right lesson. Absolutely. And so I, I think that's that's what it is. But it gets hard. So I have this 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 thought process. And in my mind, it's like, you know, our job as parents, and I would even extend it to thinking about, you know, as educators, we want to make it so that our children and even the the our the young folks that we come in contact with don't have to experience some of the hardships that we did, right? And they have it just, even if it's just a little bit, just a little bit easier than us because the idea is that we're continuing to move that mark. And so how do we kind of set that up for them so they're able to kind of get that success? And again, I can speak for myself as a parent. At one point, I thought it was like hovering, right? And I'm going to physically put myself out there so that you don't stumble, And now I'm realizing that that also is a hindrance, Mm. right? Because I want you to feel confident. I want you to make mistakes. So how do I just provide you just enough tools and just kind of like check in and do that follow through with you so that you do feel comfortable with that? And their mistakes are going to look completely different than what ours did. You hope they do. I hope so too. And cause, and the last thing you want to be, as we're folks of a certain age, is to be like those grumpy old people like, oh, my God, these kids. Because, like, no, we was doing silly stuff, too. But, like, how do we – it's just like it's, it's, a, it's a balancing act. And even in our old ages, our big ages, we're still going to do dumb stuff. It's it's a it's a real thing to think about. And I th- you're – obviously, I love the way you, you think. I'm going to keep saying that because it's the point between not just the toolkit but also the space – to mm-hmm. actually practice the toolkit, having yeah. safe spaces yeah. to that you can put up shots and get and get your practice in. Yeah. And yeah. part of that, I think, with parenting is like I can't make you me. I just don't want you to make the same mistake I made. I know yours are going to be different. Right. But I need to give you enough space, and also I need you to learn enough to have your toolkit. Yeah. This is just this yeah. is the Mario Kart moment, like. What you got in your bag? Right. Or Zelda. I think that's probably Zelda. I probably better. play video games. Oh, so you need to work so on that. Um, so so you don't play video games at all? Okay. I read books. <laughs> Which one do I have? Yeah. So, but, I, point, but I'm here. But, I'm with but, you. But the, yeah. but the, the reality is that they there's there are particular skills that they they're going to need. They're yeah. going to need to practice and and I need to make sure that your skill is proficient in the space that you're going to be in. Right. Because I know you have skills. That don't transfer nowhere, right? And I need you to, and I and I actually need you to negotiate and and dropping that right now, right? Well, so out of everything, what just stood out to me the most was when talking about your kids. I know that you're not me, right? Yeah. And I don't know about you, but that's hard to kind of like reason with sometimes with your kids that they're not you. Yes, right. I know I had a hard time with it. Like I look at again, I look at my girls and. Like academics is something that was just always easy, right? I love to read. I'd rather read than engage with people half the time. And so imagine me having children that don't like to read. And like school, like they'll do it. But like, it's oh, they might like audible books. So my, my little one likes graphic novels and I have to stop myself, right? Because she's not me. I'm like, that's a comic book. That's not a book. Like what is like, it's not, it's not a book, right? <laughs> But whatevs. But anyway, but that that's kind of like this ongoing lesson. And I'm always reminding myself, like, they're not you. And so 
there were things about me growing up where me and my mom are completely different. Me and my grandma are completely different. And although there were times I know where they didn't necessarily understand me and they didn't understand what I was doing, they supported me. And so my job is to support them. And the same way when I fell on my face and they were both like, okay, let's sit down, let's make a plan, then I need to do the same thing for them. I think the part that I realized in observing, so growing up kind of in our loner space, it was around a time where I figured out that me living loud Mm -hmm. in the way that it exists, loud and emotional and emotional and everything that I knew that it's that's nothing I can give them. Yeah. I couldn't give it. So once, once I realized that I can't, I can't give you my life. No, I can't give you the exact things that I have. I can try to give you things and, but how you experience it will be distinctly different. And knowing that that's when I put it away. Yeah. Instead of saying like, and I, and I, and I know like, there's a million dads out here that play sports and they they have sons and daughters and they look at them and they go, mm-hmm. why don't they do that? And I'm like, because they're not supposed to. <laughs> right. Like, I, I, just, I, I didn't want to clone. Yeah, yeah. I wanted to be able to look at this person that has some similar traits, mm-hmm. but they use them differently. But being able to recognize through my experience and mistakes and successes and failures that... I have I'm in a position to give them advice and what the skill that they have. Right. And then help them figure how they're going to mold with these particular variables together and say, okay, I could I can kind of tell you if I don't know, I'll say I don't know and, and put go holler at somebody real quick. Right. Right. Because loud for me meant that I learned a lot of mistakes and and like on a on a fast track. Exactly. Versus Same like it was, and, and that <laughs> and that was one of those opening lines where it was just like you're gonna fall. You're gonna fall way more than you. Yeah. And, and it's fun. And it's funny. And I, that's why I think the way you're you described it, it makes me think about that because now that you've made the mistakes, you've learned from the mistakes, you've matured, and have this level of confidence that what seems like something's like phenomenal for someone else, it's kind of like this is kind of this is. This is, I'm just I'm just showing up. I'm just here, right? Well, and so, <laughs> it again. The way that you look at all of those, even though you say like they're different and you don't you don't want to clone. Right. And those expectations, those experiences and the falling on your face and making those mistakes, all of those things shape your mindset. Right. And they shape the way that you move through spaces and the way that you look at certain things. And so although it doesn't it may not like fully like influence you anymore. Right it still has an impact on how you're going to move through the world. And it's also going to have an impact on the way that you raise your children. Mm-hmm. And so well, my oldest daughter, I had my oldest daughter, my freshman year in college. And one of the things I always joke about is like, I always kind of shied away from like the whole teen mom narrative. Mm-hmm. Right. I was in college, you know, and like, <laughs> although, although, right. Like I, a young mom, sure. But no, right? I was I was in school and then even as like my journey, it didn't look the same. And so I like when when you find yourself in certain spaces and people love to like put it, you know, give you a label, it was always like, well, no, I'm not I don't have those real experiences of a teen mom. A young mom, a single mom for sure. And to this day there's things that I do, right? And I have to attribute it to that mindset of being 19 or 20 with a baby, mm-hmm. right? And so, like, the working multiple jobs and always having a plan and, like, I can move off two or three hours of sleep. It's not a big deal. Um, and even saying it's not a big deal, right? I'll just figure it out. There you go. Right? And so I look at my 20-year-old, and for me, she's so she's so childlike, right? And... You know, there's times where I want to, like, say to her, well, like, you know, when I was your age, I was doing X, Y, and Z, and how come you're not doing this? And it's really me taking a step back and checking myself and being like, well, Free, honestly, right, when you were 20, you had a baby, she doesn't have any children. Mm-hmm. And so she she's not expected to act any way but what she's acting. And so now, what? because it's like, what am I really trying to impart upon her, right, being responsible? showing up, following through. And I can do all of those things 
and teach her all of those things and support her with that without coming from a place of negativity and also without centering my trauma into it. That sounded really good. I should have wrote that down. Well, it's it's it's, it's, reco- it's recorded, so we got it. Right. Um, <laughs> that's it. That's the yeah, the alarm. The alarm went off. Right. <laughs> Welcome to Whaley. You when and I'm gonna give you the last word before we finish. But I when you said that, what I heard was protection. Yeah. And I, and I go back to parenting. Mm-hmm. That. When you were, because obviously you had a child as a freshman, I had a child as a sophomore, um, so my life was slightly different than mm-hmm. my tradi- the traditional student athlete. Um, but the moment where I started thinking about, I'm, I had a responsibility now. I was doing it because what I want you to do is I want to kind of protect you. Absolutely. Because I'm because because at that time in life I was a little more serious with life because life was serious with me. At that part, right? But. In the totality, it went back to protection. Mm-hmm. And sometimes we want to protect them while also trying to recognize that their journey has to require some adversity that I really don't really want. If I had to choose, right. I really don't want you to have this. No. But I, but <laughs> right. I think that's the conundrum with parenting because I, I don't want you to have this, but I know that this is going to be your character building moment. Right. I right. can't give you too much grace and success without you having your, your pitfalls. Right. But I really don't want you to have this. Right. Right. And how do you, how do you grapple with that though? Like, and so, you close your eyes and just let them go outside just, and be like, yo, just what, tell me, call me when you get there. Whatever happens, happens. Like you're talking <laughs> and in my mind, I'm hearing moral panics, right? <laughs> and so, you know, in policy, we talk about, you know, moral panics and it'll be an issue. And this issue is presented like, oh my goodness, it's going to threaten the detriment of society. And ah, now we got to like come together and make stricter policies. And when I first heard it, it made me think about like, again, like within like our communities. And so as parents, right, we've had these experiences. And for a lot of us, a lot of times these things were like low key traumatic and we just haven't worked through them. And then so now we have our kids and we're panicking, especially when they start getting of a certain age. And even if you don't really have any reason to right? but it's our trauma showing up. And so the way that we're reasoning with that is by feeling like we need to like get stricter with them. Mm. We need to come down and be more authoritative, not thinking that you may be potentially like creating roadblocks for them that they didn't need. Or you might be creating like an environment where they don't feel comfortable with you. And honestly, what you're feeling is less about them and it's more about you. And so what do I need to do to kind of let go of some of that stuff? So that I can really show up for my child the way that I need to. And again, like there's no right or wrong answer because it's 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 hard. Mm-hmm. And I would imagine like being a young parent too, it's almost like now where you kind of are able to kind of sit down and catch your breath. I appreciate you calling me young. Listen, <laughs> we out here. But like where you can like finally sit down and catch your breath and say, you know what? that was low-key stressful. (laughs) I don't got to live like that no more, right? And they start thinking about, like, the impact that that did have on you because it was stressful. It was hard. But, and I imagine the same way, but we when you're in it and you're already carrying that stigma and that title of being a young parent, the last thing that you want to do is show up as a young parent because you already know that everyone else is judging you and expecting you to show up that way. So you're going to show and prove it come a whole lot harder. I think part of that moral panic and also what you what you described earlier is just living loud mm-hmm. that I knew that I was on my own terms. Mm-hmm. And part and I part of that analogy of just not being loud, but also that my loudness was so individual and authentic to me is because I'm here. Right. So if I if I have to figure out if I have to create a space for myself, it's gonna be it's gonna be what it is. So you it, can either yeah. come inside or you can go outside. Right. And that right. was part of that kind of like growing up in a kind of an isolated space. Mm-hmm. It's like it may not have been loud, but I realized that that loud voice came outside. The little boy came outside. Right. And, right. And, and I think that that played a, a huge part in terms of like when I'm looking at them, mm-hmm. even though it may be similar to them, they have they feel like they have way more comfort than, than verse like back then. It was just like you're just running through walls like you were you were. You were interested in it, the challenge actually showing up and right. being as being as hard as it needed to be because 
and that's why I, I always ask that question about that protection in that great moment you're describing, because I remember when my back was against the wall and what decision I was going to make. Right. And then when you have somebody that wants to stand in the gap, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. that means a whole lot about how individuals think holistically and, right. and, and but think about protection in totality. Right. Because when you're able to experience that, like it, I remember my, I got robbed one time. I was on I was on Gulf Street. Oh well, that was your first mistake. I'm joking. I was catching the bus. It's cool. <laughs> and I remember I got robbed in the corner, and my grandmother was yelling from the porch. She was just, like, she obviously is not standing in the middle, but yeah, get away from him, get away <laughs> from him. And I'm like, he he still took my lunch money, but the point of the matter was like, she was trying to be in the gap, right? And, well, uh, and seeing that is appreciative because sometimes all you need is that diversion. Right. And that that just that little moment for someone, because I think we all do. Right. We all want to feel seen, Mm. be heard and to be protected. True. And with that in mind, like, how do we show up? And, and, And sometimes I feel like we're always thinking things have to be like these grandiose things, right? Mm-hmm. We, it just has to be like this big thing. And that's the only way that someone can show up for you. But it's it's those little things. Right. And it, I was I was saying the other day, um, one of my best friends in the world is a guy and it's awesome in these moments to have like like this, this, this male or these other men around where they'll just kind of check in. Right. Like mm-hmm. you good. Do you need anything? And it's different having grown up in a family of women. Right. Mm-hmm. But it's nice to just feel protected because for a long time walking through like these spaces it was like well shoot i gotta do it myself Mm -hmm. you know and so sometimes it is just like that small check-in that makes you feel protected but again how do we get to that space so we've talked about a lot so Uh in in the closing pieces i I think we've talked about what it means to be in higher ed parenting Mm -hmm. what it means to even be a critical theorist and just just walk around here and obviously, you're able to live a lot louder than I am. We already figured that one out. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> what advice What advice would you provide for those that are here in this conversation, but also kind of thinking about, like, how to live loud, how to be able to be comfortable living loud, if that's a choice that they want, but I mm-hmm. think that their loudness will exist in whatever variation it needs to be. I really think the first step to that is just being comfortable with yourself, right? Mm-hmm. And also knowing that yourself, how you define it, all of that stuff is going to change. You're going to go through so many transitions. And so don't don't get locked in. Like the Frida who I am right now is absolutely not the Frida that I was a couple years ago. <laughs> right? It's like I'm not, right? I might have like remnants of her, but it's that that learning, that growing that makes me feel more comfortable with kind of showing up and, and those transitions, too. And so I think that that's how we do it. And then how do we kind of impart and push that living out loud and showing up for other people? You know, when we were talking the other day, I mentioned because, you know, I got to end on some black feminist. Stuff. <laughs> uh, duh. But. I mentioned um, Bell Hooks' theory um, about this this love ethic, mm-hmm. right? And if we stop looking at love as like these magical feelings and it's just an action. Mm-hmm. And every single day we show up for folks. Like we're caring, we're compassionate, we're trustworthy. We're all of those things that we want people to be for us. If we do our darndest to do that to other people, I feel like the it might not be the end all to be all and it's not like a magical wand to fix all the problems, but I think it just moves the needle a little bit and gets us where they need to go so right now that's where like my focus is right just showing up for people being caring being compassionate and also doing those things for myself mm. and that, that that's kind of where i'm at i appreciate you showing up today yeah i appreciate you having me so where can everybody find you so um, <laughs> <laughs> right because then that, that only child comes back up right i mean obviously like on social media i would think the most one that i may interact with the most would be like Instagram. So underscore queen free on Instagram. And then if you must find me, Frida on Frida Grant on Facebook or shoot me an email. 
Dr. DJ will get you in contact with me. And she also has a perfect uh, LinkedIn page. Yes, I do. <laughs> but, right, I do have a nice link. LinkedIn is the best place. Again, I'm an only child, so you're like, find me for what? But, yes, that works as well. It's the Dr. DJ Podcast, sponsored by LGBG. Let God be God. I'm your host. Until next time.